Cold Shack Sloop Podcast, episode The Energy Eater. Welcome to Cold Shack Sloop. We have another episode here for you. And uh, to talk about this week's episode, we brought in the big guns. The man, the myth, the legend. You know him, you love him. We're talking about Jeff. Jeff Coburn, he's back. And uh, oh, I think I think James Rice is here too. So Hi. <laughs> no, of course we're just messing with you guys. James, I would love glad for you to be back. Uh, I actually I wanted to selfishly talk about some Star Wars this week, and I have found a way to shoehorn it in later on. Uh, so we'll talk about a little Star Wars this week. Uh, Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to talk about this episode and hang out and talk some talk about uh, Cold Shack, Cold Shack, or I usually just call him Carl James. So I get, try to get around it that way when uh, I can. When you're on a first name basis. When I talk about him, when I talk about the books, I say Cold Shack, and then when I talk about the show, I say Cold Shack. So it's because they're kind of different characters. So I get around it that way. True. We are happy to have you all here with us, and how whatever you want to call him, we're here to talk about him in this yeah. episode. The Energy Eater. So we don't have a lot of news or anything this week, so I'm just going to get right into the TV Guide segment of the week. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. Good reading, TV Guide. And that is a segment where we basically go through and we talk about what's airing this week. So the this, the day that this aired was Friday, December 13th, 1974. You're going to see a theme here that Cole Shack clearly breaks. But over on CBS, you had How the Grinch Stole Christmas, of course. A great one. You also at 8.30, you had Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. At 9.30, you said you had The House Without a Christmas Tree. And over on ABC, you had Kung Fu, the Demon God. You had the $6 million man, Stranger and Broken Fork at 9 o'clock. And at 10 o'clock, you had our lovable Cole Shack, the Night Stalker, the Energy Eater. And on NBC, Sanford and Son, a little extra security. At 8.30, at Hallmark Hall of Fame, The Borrowers. And at 10, you had The Police Woman, The Child Buyers. So that's what aired this week. James, you were, what year were you born? 80. So you, yeah, you, you were uh, far past this, but, but everybody's seen like how the Grinch stole Christmas, right? Everybody's seen that. Mm-hmm. Everybody's seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We all know, love those. Some cool stuff. It's close to Christmas and Cole Shack actually did the Christmas episode like a month, a month before this, for whatever reason, you know, Hey, <laughs> Hey, it's whatever. Go figure those folks at ABC, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Always thinking ahead. You're talking about the werewolf, right? Is that where they have like the Christmas party yeah. in the office? Yeah. 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 So the werewolf was a little bit, you know, missed, missed the mark here. But, you know, again, we talked about that. And let's talk about the uh, the cast and crew. That is going to be. And that's where the zombie's going to be. And that's where I'm going to be. Wait for me. No. I'm coming. Get back, get back. Well, there are all the usual suspects, you know, of course, uh, Darren McGavin as, uh, as, uh, our beloved investigative reporter, Carl. And, uh, of course there's, uh, Simon Oakland as Tony Vincenzo, uh, Ruth McDevitt as uh, Emily Cowell and, uh, uh, Greenwich, Jack Greenwich as, as Ron Updike or uptight as Carl calls him. <laughs> And that's all that comes to mind right now. 
yeah, that is it. And uh, also we had William Smith as Jim Elkhorn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to go from memory, which was probably not the best idea. No, no. I'm, 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 it, was, it was good. It was solid. Elaine, oh, I always hate pronouncing names. I always, that's why I get Robert. Robert's my out and stuff like this. Elaine Giftos as Nurse Janice Ison. So that's how you spell that name. I, I have spelled that so wrong in our notes. If you look down, if you look through our notes, Tom Drake is Don Kibay. Michael Strong is Walter Green. Robert Euro as Detective Webster. Joyce Gilson as Diana Lanier. You talked about Jack Greenwich. You talked about Ruth McDevitt. John Alvin as Dr. Carey. Robert. Yeah, that's good. We'll go with that. As Dr. Hartfield, uh, Michael Fox. I don't wonder, that's probably not Michael J. Fox. As Frank Wesley, Melissa Green as first girl, Diana Hopper as second girl, John Mitchum as janitor, Barbara Graham as Lori, Eliana as receptionist, Paul Baxley as the electrocuted worker, Ted Christie as a worker, Wesley Gale as a reporter, and Daniel Nunez as a worker. This course is directed by Alexander Grasshoff, produced by Sa Shermack, written by Arthur Rowe, the story and the teleplay, and also written by Rudolf Orschert, which is the teleplay. And this is, of course, uh, based on the novel by who there, James? Uh, Jeff Rice. Jeff Rice, the great Jeff Rice. So uh, other works yeah. by cast and crew. William Smith was in The Ghost of Frankenstein, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, The Thing with Two Heads, Grave of the Vampire, Columbo, Piranha, Black Samson, which... Uh, do you want to, let's 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 an aside, James. What is your connection or your family's connection to Black Samson? So, um, of course, my father was in the industry for a brief period there in the seventies, and uh, my mother actually was uh, in Hollywood as well. She spent a lot of time. Well, her career, all sorts of bumps and turnarounds there, but. Uh, at one point, she was a phot- photographer doing a lot of movie stills. So a lot of the publicity stills that they would use for movie posters, advertising. And she did all the stills for Black Samson. Apparently, she's rather proud of her work on that. And yeah, I mean, they apparently the set was pretty crazy. They did all sorts of wacky things and stunts that were really, really dangerous. And then she got photos of all of it. I think she said that she still has a lot of the negatives, but uh, yeah, she worked on Black Samson. That's so cool. I'm glad to hear that, man. Uh, we had talked about that, and I think we even talked about it on the episode, but anytime Black, I, I put Black Samson here just so we could talk about that again, because I think that's so awesome. Other other things that William Smith was in, Conan the Barbarian, The Outsiders, which also starred Darren McAvin, Knight Rider, Red Dawn, The A-Team, The 80s Twilight Zone, Airwolf, Maniac Cop, which is a wild, Maniac Cop's a weird movie if you've ever seen it. Hell Comes to Frogtown. Eric Burden, Run for Your Life, which Eric Burden was a member of the group called The Animals and even had a group called Eric Burden, The Animals, which is a more psychedelic version of The Animals later on. And I put that in there more for myself than anybody else. Evil Alter. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, Brad. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Evil Alter, Empire of Ash 3, Memorial Valley Massacre, Cybernator, Feast, Manosaurus. Uncle Sam, Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction. Loved that show as a kid. I used to, me and my family used to watch Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction all the time. Yeah. And we'd sit in the living room. We'd have to, I would write it down. I was the designated, whoever put Factor Fiction in. I don't know. Nobody ever won anything, but whoever won just sort of got bragging rights for the night. The Jonathan um, Frakes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Debbie Does Damnation, which that's a, that's a very, uh, we won't talk about that one. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just thought that was weird in the, uh, the William Smith myth, mythos here. Uh, Pantera, Revolution is my name. And yeah, uh, 
The Vampire Hunters Club, The Erotic Rites of Countess Dracula, Zombie Gadon, Killer Story, Rapturous, Her Morbid Desires, and Island of Witches. So, and William Smith, he passed away here recently. Yeah. And, but he had such a, uh, he has such a large catalog of just strange movies and, and weird roles, especially like it's just sort of like, you know, all over the place. So, you, I'm not going to lie though, I'm all over the outsiders. Night Rider, Red Dawn, Red Dawn, Red Dawn, yo, Red Dawn. Generation, I was a little young when Red Dawn came out, but that put me into my whole. I want to be a soldier, wear military fatigues. You know, oh, really? Week phase. You know, when you're when you're eight, it's a thing. Oh yeah. So we are. So we are talking about the original Red Dawn, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Well, he, he wouldn't be in that and Airwolf. And if anyone out there knows Airwolf. Come on, a, a diving and flipping helicopter. Only Michael Vincent. Yeah. Only in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Somebody else who was in Night Rider was uh, Elaine Giftos, who was also in Gas, or it became necessary to destroy the world in order to save it. Three's <laughs> Company, one of my favorites. I love Three's Company's kid, John Ritter. Yeah. Great. Tales of the Unexpected and War of the Worlds, the 80s TV series. Also a classic. Oh, yeah. Tom Drake was in Our Town. Tales of Tomorrow, Playhouse 90, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, House of the Black Death, City Beneath the Sea, and The Spectre of Edgar Allan Poe. I'm sure our friend Martin Woodsyak has knows a thing or two about that one. Writing a book currently on Edgar Allan Poe. Michael Strong was in The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Star Trek, The Outsider, Columbo, and Planet of the Apes. We didn't have this conversation last time, James. Are you a Star Trek guy? I'm, I dip, I've dipped my toe in Star Trek. Uh, Jeff, Jeff was a, was a Star Trek fan. My stepfather was a Trekkie. Really? Actually, he was enough of a Trekkie that he was not a Trekkie. He was a Trekker, if you know. <laughs> no, I, I have no he, idea. He made sure to give me the proper distinction. Yeah. And I would say a, a good bit of my uh, my interest in hard science fiction actually comes from him. But. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, I will have to look that up later. <laughs> Robert Euro was in Satan in High Heels, The Invaders, and Night Gallery. It's not gallery. Love Rod Serling in that. There you go. John Alvin was in The Lone Ranger, science fiction, science fiction theater, The Monsters, My Favorite Martian, MASH, and Monster Squad. Monster Squad. Now, Monster Squad's another one of those, man. Like, it's like a cult film. Like, like I feel like enough people don't know about Monster Squad. Oh, James don't know about Monster Squad. What, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. When did Monsters? What, what, give me a plot synopsis here. I, I watched a lot of movies when I was a little kid, and there's some things that kind of squeaking through the cracks here. So it's like a you'd have been like a seven or so when it came out. It came out in 1987. It's basically these kids okay. uh, sort of find these all these different monsters. Like they find like Dracula and the Mummy and the Gill Man and Frankenstein's monster. There's gonna be some sort of like apocalypse, and they have to end up fighting them. No, they fought along with them. It sounds vaguely familiar. I think I, if it's what I'm thinking about, I think I remember liking that movie a lot at, you know, age seven. Eight. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dracula is like the big bad, but I think Frankenstein yeah. helps him. So, so some help. And- yeah. Yeah. This does ring a bell here. Is that the one where the mummy unravels like near the end? <laughs> I think that is. I think that okay. is. that's like the one visual I still have <laughs> from that movie. It's a car chase or something, and they grab the end of the bandage, and it just unwraps, and there's nothing underneath or something. And, you know, one thing I love about the, this show, too, is you have, like, the people who were in, like, these 80s movies, and then, like, this next one that, we ta- that we've talked about, uh, Robert Cornthwaite. Corn- is that how we said? Do we even say that? I believe. That's how I'm reading it. He was in, like, the original thing from another world, the 50s one, War of the Worlds, Destination Space, 
Reptilicus, maybe? Reptilicus. That's, yeah, that, that's it. Uh, the season three Twilight Zone episode Showdown with with uh, Rance McGrew as Hanford and the season four episode of Twilight Zone No Time Like the Past as the director. He was also in the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, The Monsters, The Ghost, and Mr. Chicken, The Devil's hey. Daughter, Lincoln, Future World, and Time Trackers. You like Ghost and Mr. Chicken? It's a classic. Don Knotts. Oh, Just Don Knotts. He's perfect. Classic. Michael Fox was in The Lost Planet, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Killer Ape, Conquest of Space, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, War of the Satellites, Playhouse 90, the season one Twilight episode, Nightmare as a Child as the Psychiatrist, and he was also in the season two Twilight Zone episode, Mr. Dingle the Strong as a Martian, and the season five episode, Sounds and Silence as the Doctor, who's in Lost in Space, Dunwich Horror, Columbo, Shaft, the series, Young Frankenstein, Knight Rider, and the 80s Twilight Zone reboot. He was in Young Frankenstein. Ooh, now there's a, there's a cultural That's a classic. Touchstone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mel Brooks. Perfect. John Mitchum was in the season two episode, the Rip Band Winkle Caper of the Twilight Zone as Ace and the season five episode, Mr. Garrity in the Graves as Irby. He was also in Bigfoot, the outlaw Josie Wales and escapes. I've never seen Bigfoot. Wasn't, wasn't Simon Oakland in that episode of Twilight Zone also? Uh, the Rip Van Winkle caper? Wasn't he one of the guys who... Yeah, with another he may have well been. Uh, I'm going to have to look into that. We, of course, <laughs> one day we're eventually going to talk about Simon Oakland and all the main cast on their own and what they've been in. So we'll talk about that. El Riano, I butchered that name, was in the 80s Twilight Zone episode reboot. Uh, Wesley Gale was in the Disembodied, the season one Twilight Zone episode, The Big Tall Wish, and The Manchurian Candidate, which is also great, a great uh, mm-hmm. movie. Daniel Nunez was in the Rod Serling Playhouse 90 episode, A Town Has Turned to Dust. And he was also in the season two Twilight Zone episode, Dust, which is sort of uh, in the same vein of that. I think they play, he used the script for that. And going for the trifecta, he is also in the Night Gallery. And uh, he was also in Blazing Saddles, all Blazing Saddles, Ooh. classic, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and The Howling. Close Encounters. Close Encounters, yeah. That's one we need to talk about, ain't it? Close Encounters is great. Oh, yeah. Hey, I've got one Share I found one. when I was looking this up. I had no idea about this, but I was kind of looking into them today. And and the woman who plays Diana Lanier in this episode, she's only in one scene, but her name is Joyce Jilson. And apparently she was in a movie called Super Chick. And, you know, I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> Let the name speak for itself. Because I think. What was it so, about? Well, I think it's one of those movies that was unintentionally funny. Let's just. Uh-huh. Leave it at that. But we're actually going to talk about her in a little bit. Uh, oh, cool. So we'll talk about her when her scene comes along. I want to read this from the uh, the book that now long out of print, Not Stalking, a 20th Anniversary Companion by one Mark DeWoodsiak. And I'm going to read his summary here. The city of Chicago sparkles with architectural monuments to man's achievement, his artistic aspirations, his quest for the truth, his respect for the law. Now a different sort of monument. There is a theory that dying institutions erect their own mausoleums before they die. This particular monument was to be a hospital and a research center, dedicated to extending the life of man, improving the quality of that life. It succeeded instead in introducing a new horror, a new way of death, a mystery. I became involved just after the hospital's completion, covering the dedication. The building construction had been a little rocky. Two Indian high steel workers had fallen off the top floors, but that was quickly forgotten and never explained. No matter, now it was dedication time and everything was roses. It was all I could do to stay awake. His synopsis, the construction of a lakefront hospital is delayed by the mysterious deaths of several Native American members of the high steel crew. The deaths are all the more puzzling because the Indians were ideal high-rise construction workers. 
perfect balance and no fear of heights. Before each fatal incident, a loud humming sound is heard. The remaining Indian crew members walk off the job, and the hospital is completed without further tragedy. After the dedication, however, the new hospital is plagued by one disaster after another. Cracking and buckling walls, abnormal heat levels, malfunctions, and electrical system gone haywire. It's only the beginning. What, What follows is another series of mysterious deaths, staff members, and patients. An Indian construction worker named Jim Elkhorn tells Kolshak that an ancient power god once lived on the site where the hospital was built. The construction awakened the slumbering presence and unleashed its malignant fury. Police are at a loss to explain the deaths and an unusual phenomena. So it's up to Kolshak and Elkhorn to subdue the malevolent force <laughs> that seems to thrive on electrical energy. And this is the, uh, he also notes, this is the last of three episodes directed by Alex Grasshoff. And it's the second story about an Indian legend. It's a contagious psychosis. Oh, gee. That's my theory, and I've checked it out with a few psychiatrists. There's a definite pattern to the killings. They seem to come in bunches. Hookers? Mostly. Some semi-pros. There was an Italian who specialized in flower girls. So, uh, where do we want to start on this, guys? Well, we start off with some stock shots of Chicago with some really... Really cool music, by the way. I don't think we've, ta- I don't know, I haven't heard you guys talk about music, but I would really wish they had like a soundtrack of all the the, the score for this show because there's really some neat sounding stuff on there. But anyway, you hear this, you see these, these buildings and uh, hear Carl's comments about Chicago architecture. And it, that sort of establishes, you know, the, the architecture theme for the show, the episode. But this episode aired. By the way, as you said, December 13th, 74, which was one day before the release of anyone, anyone, Erwin Allen's The Towering Inferno. Oh, yeah, that cannot be a coincidence because, you know, with a movie that big, it was like a who's who of stars. There there had to be some buzz about it in advance. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know if they rushed this one in or if this was a script that had already been done and they I don't know, but but it's interesting timing. Carl's driving to the opening of a new hospital and it's, and it's billed as the, the most modern facility in existence. But then, you, as you mentioned, there are two Native American steel workers that have, had fallen off the top floors. But he says that was quickly forgotten. And I think this show establishes a secondary theme right here. And, uh, you know, James, I remember when you were on the show before you said something about if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm misquoting you or whatever, but I, I heard you say that you, you felt like Jeff Rice would be proud of the fact that Carl's sort of legacy ha- shines a light on the little guy. It was something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. Well, I think there are a lot of little guys and big guys in this episode, and I think it's, it's showing the difference and it's showing who's who and how it's very obvious who's going to be regarded as, as which one. Cause they were quickly forgotten, you know, and, and it's like the important people are not the important people. They were considered useful in their way, but they weren't important people. Yeah. Yeah. People and yeah. Carl. And, and, and like, then we pick up Carl going into the, to the lobby and, you know, he walks up to the receptionist with, I'm just going to call it the Burger King hat. Cause it looks just like that people hats. People were on the Burger King commercials at that time. And, and uh, he says, uh, anybody important here today? And she says, no, just a bunch of reporters. So Carl's reminded right away that he's not the big guy. He's the little guy. And the thing about it though, is most viewers probably considered themselves as the little guy 
you know, the underdog. So we sort of sympathize with him because of that. And there are going to be times in this episode where he sort of gets the upper hand, pulls one over on the big guy in whatever situation. And we sort of get gratification from that. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. I can just step in here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A couple, a couple of things I noticed, you know, I mentioned the music in my notes and I usually try to mention the music, but I thought the music was really good this, this episode. But in the first episode, he sort of has like a different hat. And like, like I think the first, the first shot was of like stock footage, I guess, because his hat was a lot flatter. It didn't have the rolled up bill. Did you know? Right. They, well, they had a hat that they often used for driving. And they, they used, there are, if you look at the, the stills carefully, there are at least three slightly different styles of hat worn in this series, not counting the movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. But James, what did you think about this first scene? Because I've been living in LA my whole life. It's a thing that you start to notice when you watch TV is, you know, things are set in this city or that city, but you wonder, okay, which, which outdoor scene did they film down the street from here? Or which outdoor scene did they film (laughs) over in, you know, the LA, the Sepulveda Basin recreational area in San Fernando Valley? So, so part of me was watching all the street scenes saying, is that downtown LA or is that actually Chicago? Cause I don't know Chicago. You know, if you ever watch NCIS, almost all of it is filmed kind of in, in Santa Clarita, just North of LA. Mm-hmm. I drive, I, I, I spent years commuting past presumably the set because it's right off of the 14 freeway. So a lot of my eyes just looking at those kind of background details, I'm listening to the show and I'm watching Carl, but I wasn't catching his like costume deck, uh, details, but I don't know down a lot of downtown cities. I think that's the good thing is like, if you come at this from multiple angles, not everybody's going to pick up. Like I may pick up something that you'd like, I would have never thought to look at that, you know, to look at the different scenery and stuff going on. But I think yeah. Carl does have one good line that I hear that I like, he goes up to the woman and he's sort of, He's sort of sweet talking her and stuff. Yeah. And, he, and uh, she said, it's, you know, it's difficult for someone who is starting to get exposed. And Carl looks down with a smirk and says, well, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. That look about him. I yeah. That's it's Carl. I mean, <laughs> yeah, she's trying to be, she's trying to become an actress. She's breaking yeah. into acting and she's doing this gig for the exposure. She says, yeah. So it's kind of a double entendre, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, it's like they give the welcome speech, you know, and the, the, the contractor is introduced as Walter Green, the gentleman who built this fine facility. Well, people like the dead guys who fell off the top floors are the people who built this facility, but nobody's mm-hmm. mentioning them in the speech. Yeah. Right. Because they're the little guys. So then we get uh, the worker killed by apparent electrocution. The lights go off and on again. And, and then nurse Janice Ison and I got her name spelled wrong too, Bradley, until I saw it <laughs> on there, whispers something uh, to the execs, you know, and they, they shorten the tour to save time, they say, but it's really to skip the floor where the death happened. So the man, capital M, is lying. And remember, this would, the, having the man, the establishment lie to you would have been a big theme here because this is less than a week after Nixon resigned. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's on yeah. people's minds. Yeah. And that, that just feeds the whole conspiracy thing. You know, we don't, the distrust for the establishment and the government. So Carl smells a story, you know, and he, he follows Eisen and then Eisen makes this, she works in pathology and he asks her if she enjoys it. And she makes this joke about, 
a well-performed autopsy is a joy forever. You know, and he, he laughs. I felt like the, the one-liners were a little bit heavy handed in this episode, but there were really some good ones. You know, it's like, instead of trying to build a laugh slowly, like they sometimes do, they just kind of move the story and move the story, but they threw in a lot of one-liners, try to throw in a lot of zingers. Then they'd see the cobalt room with a sign that says danger, radioactive materials. And that'll, that'll kind of be important later. Carl Sweet talks Emily into writing the hospital opening story so he can pursue the real story. There's his, there are so many places in this episode where Carl uses his powers of persuasion, or in this case, we, we, we might wonder if, if she used him because she agreed to do it so she can hijack the story to focus on the hospital's lack of geriatric facilities. You know, (laughs) that's her angle. So either way, somebody's using somebody there. And then Emily says, she actually says she hates to see senior people glossed over. So there again, we've got the elderly, another group being pushed aside and considered less important. It's just one of those things, you know, when you start watching the show for something to make notes on it, you see it in a whole different way. And these things just kind of hit you. And I don't know if they put this, all this in consciously, I'm not saying they did, but I, I do know that they were trying to appeal to the viewers at that time. And, and I think, that is probably the impetus for a lot of this. Tony wants Carl to cover a, a gang shooting, and but Carl Smart talks him into doing it himself. And there's the the persuasion again. And 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 t- Tony says something about you know I was in this town covering stories when I was just a boy or something. And I'm like, has Tony worked in Chicago before? I know Carl has, but I didn't know what he yeah. meant. That, that seemed weird to me. Yeah, he seemed like he had he had been the. I've been on the beat here, but why do you think I got in that room? You know, how right, do you think I got that? Right. But he says here in this town, and I'm like, yeah. okay, I didn't know he worked in Chicago before. So I think Carl was a copy boy there when he was when he was younger or something. But so when Carl gets Tony to to cover the story himself, here's the little guy outsmarting the big guy, and so the audience gets that gratification again. And then Emily says, what do you think is going to happen at the hospital? And, and Carl says, I think it's going to fall down. Yeah. And this is the first, this is the first INS scene we've seen. I was watching that scene and I, I saw that, I mean, we had to get, we had to get Carl in that building. So I could see the writers trying to think about, okay, how, how are we going to get Carl in there, get Tony off his case? And actually Jeff, a little bit of foreshadowing into this whole uh, episode you're, you're talking about the little guy getting ignored, pushed aside. And now that you mention it, that's the through line in the whole thing is mm-hmm. the little guy. And I think people who are first right. getting pushed aside. Yeah. You know, if you look at that Definitely. and her standing for standing up for gray power, like, yeah, in a sense, you, you kind of see Carl manipulating everyone around him to get to where he needs to go with. Yeah. That's not too strong. I'm going to say not a whole lot of regard for people's feelings. He's not that kind of a guy. He gets it done. However, he needs to get it done, but it's because he see, he thinks there's a story here and, you know, big picture, this hospital is going to fall down on people's heads. Yeah. Greater good. He's greater good. So he, you know, moves. He's also thinking Pulitzer, but he, there's there's a phrase a lot of people I think in my my generation maybe Bradley's generation have used especially in startups you know move fast break things and I think that was actually maybe Carl's uh, motto before any of these folks were ever born. <laughs> 
you talked about the one-liners. There's some other things like in the elevator one, I think directly after he said the other one, she says, uh, they said it to, after the elevator sort of hits that bump. She says, uh, they said it takes a while to get everything working. And then Carl says, I feel that way myself in the mornings yeah. or some mornings. And what about that camera shaking effect where they just sort of, though you say the walls and then the, the camera just sort of rocks back and forth. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a TV budget. Hey, but Hey, I thought it was pretty good. It works. It works. works. They're they're very resourceful on this show. It's not, it's not flashy. It's pre CGI and all that. And the costumes, you know, aren't always the best, but they're, they're, they're resourceful at times. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's a classic technique from uh, Star Trek. Every time the the bridge is hit by photon torpedoes. Yeah. (laughs) Which way are we going to lean? Are we going to lean right? Are we going to lean left? Okay. Lean right. Yeah. 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 And the camera shakes. Yeah. So, so that's, that's classic. somebody was, somebody was once asked, you know, somebody once asked on the show when they were doing it, why don't we just put seatbelts on the chairs? And then the answer, official answer was because then they couldn't fall out of them. <laughs> it's TV, you know, but, but Tony's very dismissive too, says, what do they call this wrinkle power? And then she stands up great power. Like you mentioned, but then what I, what I think is funny after all that, she calls him old. Like she says, yeah, it's good to see an old man with spunk or something like right, that. Right. And then Tony goes, yeah, but he doesn't realize that he just got called old. Like he yeah. just <laughs> glosses over that. But of course, start, Carl goes back in the hospital, the most unconvincing doctor outfit ever. He, he hasn't changed anything, but he just has a stethoscope and he comes in and he, he goes up to the police officer. There's like, huh? And he like checks his, just checks him with the stethoscope and then <laughs> walks by and yeah, says, says you need, you look tired. You need to get more rest. It's genius. So he never says he's a doctor. He just lets the guy believe it. <laughs> yeah. James, if, if James, if you're sneaking in the hospital as a doctor, what is your, are you just going to bring a step, just dress up and bring a stethoscope and, just, and get the guy at the counter? You know, in the seventies, maybe <laughs> in the seventies, maybe these days you scrub this, but you know, Oh yeah, this you got to scan like scan your badge like six times where you can get even get in the build nowadays. Yeah. But they go down. He brings his friend here, which this actually this isn't the Native American guy, is it? This is somebody. No, else. it's an architectural engineer. So this is the architect. Then he talks to the construction right, guy. Right, right, and then he talks to the yeah. My, my, he uses so many people in this episode. Yeah, yeah, it's but hard this to keep track. And this guy's only in here for like the scene though. Yeah, he he comes down with him yeah. and he and he's yeah, looking yeah. around and and he wants and basically Carl. It's sort of like, you know, it's it's um, not to get political, but some people just want to hear the answer they want to hear. And so Carl wants this guy to tell him the answer that he wants to hear. Hey, why are these walls cracking? And he's like, well, it could be for this or this. Or he's like, no, no. Well, what if, what if, you know, we'd really need, what we really need to do is take concrete samples from inside the wall. Okay. Well, what if that's not in? He's like, well, then we would need to go and we'd need to test the steel beams. No. Well, what if the steel comes back to good too? And he's like, well, what do you want me to say, Carl? What are you getting at? And he talks about the uh, mentions the geothermal leaks, which that heat could be indicative of, because that's one thing that's noted early on too is that the air is blowing, but it's always hot on that bottom level. And they have the temporary lights up too, and that's one of the things that the architect who came down was like, you know, that's weird that they still have the lights up. They start busting one by one, and they're sprinting. The guy's like, hey, I'm I'm gone, and he lets the door shut on Cole Shack, and <laughs> he takes the elevator without him. Yep. And so I'm like, man, this thing's coming down on Cole Shack, but. You know, we go to commercial and come back. No, it Cole Shack's fine. It just, yeah, you know, just uh, yeah. took the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> just, 
which uh, I don't know if you saw the what, which episode was it? The Medicine uh, Man, Bad Medicine, where he has bad medicine, yeah, bad medicine. Forty-two flights of stairs. So Carl, Carl's not not afraid to take some stairs now. He was sweating. Though. That's why he wears the uh, tennis shoes. Yeah, <laughs> and the seersucker. You know, get some of that the heat off of him. Anyway, we come back to the hospital again, and that's a lot of things. There's a lot of scenes in this hospital that I thought were. You know, I guess I guess it's warranted to have it in the hospital, but Kolshak has they his that set. They used the heck out of that set. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They did. <laughs> yeah, like INS hardly got used any here. The thermite was there one more time that they went to INS? Or was yeah, they went back to put the. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, they didn't go back to INS after that scene. We're back at the hospital. Kolshak has nurse ice, and he and she tells him that there's more to foundation the foundation problems. People who who have been working with electrical equipment have been coming up dead. So. We go to the office and Kolshak, this is the thing we're, we're in the offices and they're letting in the, the first person, like there's three people in line, Kolshak's in the back. And then the guy's like, oh, the woman's like, you know, we're not letting press in here. So the next guy says he's a doctor and Kolshak goes, well, now this is such a slick move. Kolshak yep. goes, opens the door for him, lets him in. And he just lets himself in behind him. Like doesn't say he's a doctor, just no. lets people assume. And again, it's the little guy get infiltrating the big guy meeting, right? And, he, and it's showing that they're not that different than we are, and they're not necessarily smarter than we are because he gets away with it for a while. <laughs> James, in chemistry, do y'all ever deal with microscopes or anything? I mean, it depends on what you're doing. For the most part with, I mean, in high, high school chemistry class, not really. Actually, I lucked in this year, I lucked into teaching a nanoscience class for the first time in my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thrilled and mildly terrified because <laughs> I've not, that was actually my interest in nanoscience is what got me to study this in college. So 20 years yeah. ago, I used to know quite a bit about it. Uh, now I'm fairly knowledgeable, but you might use it if you were trying to build things that had, you know, micro scale properties or whatnot. But honestly, you'd more likely be using like a scanning, like a, yeah. microscope or something. Well, Kolshak, yeah, Kolshak gets to use his microscope here and they put mm-hmm. a slide down and, but they don't, they don't have it there. You know, they have it out of focus and not pushed all the way onto the stage there. So he's looking, he's like, Oh, and he looks and the guy, the guy's like, guy takes, over there <laughs> slides it. Oh, <laughs> uh, but that's, that's classic. Calls. That's clue. Number one to these guys. Hey, <laughs> which it's weird. Doctor come in with a, with a, with a straw hat anyway, but you know, Hey, we'll, we'll ignore that. But but they ask him like who are you Col- Doctor Kolshak and the and this is such a like we've all done this like you don't know somebody and you but you know them but you forgot their name or even if you don't know somebody and you're like oh yeah yeah you're you're so and so and you just and that's sort of like a psychological thing that they've done studies if somebody there's people who can put on like a vest like an orange vest and go out and start directing traffic in the middle of the road and people just take their take their orders no matter yeah. who they are it's just that look at a look of authority. He doesn't, he doesn't want to admit that there's somebody on the staff that he doesn't know about. Mm-hmm. And so when he says, and you are, and he says his name, you know, Dr. Kolshak, he says, oh yeah, of course. Like, like I, I knew that. I just forgot from that. You know, James, have you ever been in that situation where you didn't know something? But I, like, especially like you ever been in a teacher's conference There's something, there's teachers you don't know. And you're like, no, actually, because I just started this new position. I'm at a, <laughs> yeah. I've been working in smaller schools my whole career. This school ha- easily has like. 60 or 70 teachers. I, I know about 10 of them so far. 
maybe. So I'm running into new people every day, like, hi, I'm the new guy. Nice to meet you. The beginning of the school year for teachers is always rough because you have about 180 names and faces that you need to get memorized as soon as possible. So those first couple of weeks, it's just like, hi, you're an adult. I think you're a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Which nowadays... I think you're an adult. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say nowadays with high school, like, you know, it's sort of weird looking back and like high schoolers seem to get like, they look older and older now. So you're like, you know, don't know if you're, you're supposed to be in the class or teaching the class. You know, I don't know. I've had a couple of moments like that or worse (laughs) when I've, when I have a colleague who looks really young and I'm like, um, I'm sorry. Are you, are you, aren't you supposed to be in class right now? It's like, I'm one of the aides. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. sorry. Um, Actually, I'm, I'm an aide in your class. They just assigned me today. Like, Oh, well, that's a great over here now. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. But Kolshak's looking at these blood samples. Apparently, they they were absent of plasma. Could you give us the science behind that, James? I'm going to put you on the spot right now. <laughs> I kind of had to cough up my sleeve uh, in that scene. I actually wrote it down in my notes. I put a big LOL with three exclamation marks. <laughs> I mean, no, nah, no. Nah. I mean, it's true. Plasma does have, uh, if you want to look at blood, Plasma has a fair bit of protein, I, I believe, but I'm, I was not a bio major, so this is a little outside my uh, expertise. You could probably Wikipedia it as much as I could, but I know there's a, uh, there's a fair bit of, if there are proteins in your blood besides your red blood cells, they would be found. You know, red blood cells, white blood cells, and if there are any pl- pro- other proteins, they'd be floating around in the plasma. The plasma is basically just the liquid that all the other stuff of your blood floats around in. Mm-hmm. So your blood is red because of red blood cells floating around in plasma. Your white blood cells, like your immune system, floats around in your blood, your blood sugar, right? Yeah. And of course, for, for those of us who are old enough to know and care about this sort of thing, your HDL and your uh, LDL also float around in there. <laughs> Sorry for putting you on the spot there, James. But uh, James, you, you did pretty good. No, I yeah. like that. You, you or I faked it well enough that you know, until the rest of the internet comes and catches up with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, if people are coming, if people are coming to Kolshak podcast for, and to break down and like, <laughs> like break down the science and how bad it is. I th- yeah. Hey, let them do it, man. I don't care at this point. <laughs> if that's, if that's what they're doing with their life. You can fact check me with Wikipedia. It's fine. <laughs> you know, they're there. The captain comes in and Carl just sort of, he starts looking down. He sort of turns his back to him, which I thought was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're like, and he's like, hey, wait a second. And he's like, he's like, get out of here. And he sort of rough talks him and gets him on out. You know, says, hey, if I ever see you in here and again, then, you know, it's going to be bad news for you, Colshack. Same old, same old captain for some, whatever reason. New captain. See, here's what I understand. There's always a new captain, but they're always mad at Colshack. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't take them long to get to know him. No. <laughs> you know, it, it, the weird thing to me about this guy is that they, they call him the captain, but they also refer to him as detective. And I don't know how that works in police ranks or how it worked back then. Certainly, I, could you be could you be a de- detective and still be a captain? I don't know, but I just kind of, huh? I don't know. I'll, I'll give him a pass on it. <laughs> it's not a major thing, really. So uh, here we go. Colshack heading to the construction site after being turned on his ear. There, he finds Elkhorn, who is building, who is busy just fielding calls from various women. He's already talking to one. You know, you left some stuff over here. That usually means you want to. You want to come over and you want to come back to get it. That's what that means. And then 
Of course, about the time he hangs up, he's Kolchak's just getting on his nerves. And about the time he hangs up, another girl calls and he says, if I leave my hat here, can I come back later? <laughs> <And> yeah. Carl. <laughs> Carl, Carl, Carl. And he ends up, you know, he says, Hey, you know, leave me alone. He's like, well, tell me about the site, the people who died. And he's like, it was, then this was the first mention we get of it. Macha Manudo. Macha Manito. So that's the first thing he refuses to talk to him. He, he tells him and he slams the door. I guess he's got a rope tied to his door. They just pulls it down. Yeah. Slams it yeah. So he can slam the door on people without even getting out of his chair. That's perfect. Yes. James, you need one of those. And do you have your own office at your, at your uh, school <laughs> office at my own and my own office at a school. Yeah. I don't think you know how high schools work, bro. What? No, we had a, so our classrooms when I was in high school, which this was like, I guess eight or so years ago, this Alabama too, we had the class, the offices are built into the classrooms for whatever reason. I'm they're, jealous. They're in the back of the class. Well, this building was built in like the seventies though. So yeah. Wow. That's, that must be nice. No, yeah. I have a desk in front of the whiteboard. That's, that's my office. Yeah. Do you, do you get to work in the same room all day. I basically do work in the same room all day. Yeah. And so you don't have to like have a, an AV card or whatever they have now and move your stuff around. And <laughs> This particular point in my career, I stay in the same room, but I have worked at schools in the past where I turned yeah. the room. Paid your dues, man. I, I've worked at school. I've worked at some private schools. I worked at some public schools, more resources, less resources. This is probably the swankiest school I've ever worked at. Man, I, you know, next thing you're going to say is they don't even have the CRT TVs that sit on carts and they roll in with VCRs anymore. There's actually still a CRT TV in the corner of my room, <laughs> up, in, up in the corner, like attached to the ceiling, but I use a digital projector all day. So One person who doesn't use a, car, a digital projector, and that, that's probably <laughs> one of the worst segues ever. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's true. So after all that, somebody who doesn't is the uh, this hospital, and we see a twenty twenty a twenty two year old girl who is uh, almost fully paralyzed, and unfortunately, she uh, is killed by the energy eater in this weird contraption. It's an orthopedic bed. It was for rolling her up so she could be in a standing position without having to move, and because she had some kind of neur- neural damage. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was that was strange. But and then again, Kolchak he he steps up his game this time and he gets a uh, a lab coat and some bedpans to sneak in the hospital this time because this it'll work this time and it does. I mean it, it does no problems. Uh, and then he's getting off the elevator. He hands them to that one guy here. Take these. <laughs> yeah. Hands them off to him and Kolchak tells the uh, the person who's you know down here talking, looking at everything to evacuate the hospital. But he calls for security to no avail. Like, you know, security, security, police, and nobody's going to come. So Kolchak sort of escapes again. Yeah, because he's calling for an officer and nobody comes to get him. Um, you know, the thing about it is it's kind of neat that uh, Carl notices right away that that Elkhorn is kind of a, a ladies' man, as they would say back then, you know, and, and he uses that against him. You know, Eisen tells Carl about the patient's death and, and, she had, and the people dying, and she admits that she's scared, and Carl says, you know, are you scared enough to go along with an idea? And there's that persuasive power again. And so Carl talks Janice, and this is really uncomfortable in a way now, but Carl talks Janice into appealing to Jim Elkhorn's fondness for women to get him to cooperate. I mean, she kind of pimps her out. He kind of pimps her out, not literally, but he kind of gets her to lay on the yeah. charm. You know, she wears this lovely red dress and he shows up. 
at Jim Elkhorn's apartment with her so that Elkhorn will kind of give, give him the time of day and talk to them. And, uh, and, and when they go in, El, uh, Jim Elkhorn's blonde neighbor, Diane, that's the one where the actress that was in, in Super Chick is, is in Jim's apartment when they arrive because he's fixing her toster. And that sounds like a euphemism, but I'm <laughs> literal. He's actually got like her toaster and he's trying to fix it. So they show up and Janice starts asking him about his degree and asking him about his hereditary title as shaman or medicine man. And, and, you know, so she really kind of works him. but I think, I do think it's funny that Carl forgets Machi Manito's name, but he remembers the last name of the blonde woman he's just met. So there's, <laughs> there's, there's Carl again. So Jim is so taken with Janice that he loses all interest in Diane and she gets jealous and leaves. And so there's what, what's this? That's another person being pushed aside for somebody more important. See, it's just, it's around every corner. And Janice gets a little into the act too, too much into the act. And Carl kind of has to remind her to focus because she's kind of digging Jim too, apparently. So Jim says Machi Manito was invisible, but was called the bear God. And he doesn't know why Elkhorn's ancestors used to sacrifice Buffalo to Machi Manito and Machi Manito lived where the hospital is now. And Janice this is kind of cool. Janice is the one that starts really to piece it all together. She's the one that says, you know, the victims had their plasma congealed and the plasma is mostly protein. The protein is pure energy. And, and Carl says, and electricity is the purest form of energy. And so they kind of figure out what's going on. And this is another place where somebody gets pushed aside in a way. And this time it's, it's Janice because Janice gets Carl and Jim into the building. She's the one with the, the key, right? Because she she works there. But she and Jim are discussing plans for, for dinner. And and Carl just shoes her off because she's there to work her shift. But he just kind of like shoes her off like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're done with you. She, she was useful, but now she's brushed aside and no longer treated as an you know, important person. And Carl persuades. I think that, that I think that may actually be the last time we see her. Well, we still do you know, say it one more time. Well, no. I, I'm going to get to that because some people think so, but I wonder about it. Carl persuades Jim Elkhorn to try to appease Machi Minuto with a tribal dance and and he tries it. And and there again, that's persuasive. And the building starts to rumble again. And and then Carl (laughs) referring to Machi Minuto says, what if he comes and we've got no buffalo, you know? So then there's an explosion in the radiology lab. Now there's a dead nurse on the floor at the end of this scene. And a lot of people say it's Janice Eisen now, and they're, they're so hard on Carl because like, he doesn't even stop to look. Well, first of all, if you look at the angle, he can't see her from where he is. Cause there's like a big pile of rubble between them. It, you, the camera has to pan out before you even see her. And I couldn't tell, I really couldn't tell if it was, if it was the, the same actress, cause she's in a weird angle and she's all smudged up and her eyes are closed. And the other thing is she works in pathology. And this is radiology, so it's not even her department. Maybe it is, Janice, but I don't know. Uh, was it radiology? Uh, yeah, I think it was okay. radiology because all the x-rays are scattered all over the floor, you know, the exposed wow. x-rays. And they and, and Carl and Jim tape the x-rays together and get that one big image with an eye, you know, that yeah. menacing looking eye. And then Carl says, so that's so that's Machi Minuto. You know. I saw that scene. And I'll grant you that where from where they were standing, they couldn't see the nurse on the floor. Yeah. I mean, assuming she was a nurse, but I thought there was like another like radiation tech or something in the corner knocked out. There was somebody else that was and unconscious. Or dead also. And here's Col- Kolchak and, and 
Elkhorn gathering up these x-rays and I'm saying to myself, yeah, are these guys stealing evidence from a potential crime scene? <laughs> Wait a second. Time out. Like, ah, uh, but that's just my inner rule follower. So the evidence is such an ugly phrase, James. <laughs> greater good. Remember, greater good. Greater good. Well, you know, you're right. They can see the other tech that's on the floor. But doesn't somebody come in to to pick that person up? I think I want to say yeah. somebody. Yeah, I think, I think I think they let Carl and, and, and yeah. lab coat extra number four comes in and some rescuers at the end. Yeah. Okay, I think that was. I'm I'm almost positive that was her. I really it could think. be. It could because be because surely we would have seen her again in the rest of the episode if it wasn't her. And and it looked like her. It had the same. Yeah, yeah. It it, you know, I, it's probably a mixture of of wishful thinking and overthinking on my part, and I'm occasionally guilty of both. So I, I, I'll and I'll, let's let's be fair. I think this series in general did suffer some from some issues with continuity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it, it may have been labeled radiology, but it might have been the same set. Okay. Yeah. Well, it had to be radiology so they could find the x-rays, you know, but you're right. Yeah. They could have yeah. just like maybe had her working in radiology that night instead of her usual pathology gig or whatever. And just didn't explain that because they thought who's going to think about this. And when Carl first met her, she was going downstairs. She's going down the elevator. Yeah. I mean, these people, you know, these, these people think, well, they're going to they're going to see this show once, maybe in reruns. If you had told these people that somebody was going to be going to have a machine where they could watch this thing anytime they wanted and pause it frame by frame, they'd you know they would have thought you were hitting Carl Scotch. So. <laughs> yeah. So another thing I want to pick up on that I thought was funny was that Carl kept getting called Charles. Yeah, Jim kept calling him Charles. Yeah, and at one point he gets confused. Yeah, I think he, they had like a running gag in this episode of how many times somebody's name can be gotten wrong. And he, he, he keeps calling his own name yeah. wrong. He keeps calling him Charles. Then at the end, he actually messes it up another way and calls him Chuck. And then Carl yeah. says, no, it's Charles. No, it's Carl. <laughs> yeah. Carl. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, I thought that was funny. And those, those, all, those little like zingers like that, they, they all kind of work. You know, I just noticed that there was like a lot of them. They, they really kind of sort of had a, had a field day with those in this episode. Oh, this was kind of neat. Jim Jim tells Carl that Macho Manito goes back to before his people, even to prehistoric times. And and Jim reads some historical accounts in French. Okay, just kind of a non sequitur fun fact here. William Smith knew how to read that French because he was apparently fluent in French because he became uh, he learned the language as an air force intelligence specialist during the Korean war. I just thought that was kind of neat. So they used that, you know, they just kind of, but the nice thing about it is again, the native American guy is not just the token native American guy. He's, he's a three-dimensional guy. He's got that degree. He knows French, you know, he, he knows good, good food. He's, you can tell when he's talking to Janice, he knows good cuisine. So that's kind of neat. I think, especially for the time. Yeah, and if I can throw this in here too, not only not only all of that, but he's not he he's a medicine man, and but he definitely shows that it's an inherited title because he says yeah he says he doesn't do it much all. anymore he does he says he doesn't practice it much anymore ever since his guys got blue cross on their last contract. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're right, you're right. It's sort so of he's, a, he's thoroughly modern, so definitely all those yeah. stereotypes are being broken down. Yeah, which, yeah. At the beginning of this episode, when they started talking about you know Indian workers that was the word they used uh, yeah, and yeah. So, you know falling from the skyscraper i thought 
oh no, where are we going with this? And I actually they had a little hint of a cringe, like, oh, where is this going to go? But then they, they really turned that on its head and I appreciated it. Yeah. Carl notices that all the accounts are from summer months and he figures out that the seasonal heating of the water and the land would awaken it each year. So it's hibernating. And that he figures out is why they called it, even though you couldn't see it, they called it the bear God. It wasn't that it looked like a bear. It was that it hibernated in the winter like a bear. So the lake had had apparently shifted or something and the hospital was had has heated the ground and the water and it's it's waking up Macho Menudo again. So Carl and Jim tell the builder and hospital director what's going on and they argue and then the director gets a it's funny because they're about to kick them out, right? They're about to kick Jim and Carl out. And then the director gets this phone call and after and he hangs up the phone and instead of just saying, Okay, you guys get out of here. We he says, gentlemen. We better get down to the basement immediately. <laughs> like, okay, I was going to kick you out, but now I'm inviting you to come along. So, I'm going to play a little bit of uh, of uh, listener feedback we have, which is not really listener listener. It is actually from our one and only Robert oh. sent this in. Someone play his recording here for everybody to hear because he made this point. He's been saying this for so long. So, I'm a fan of me and I, me and him actually met because I'm a huge fan of a particular show, and I will let him. Talk about the particular show because it has a lot of Cole Shack ties. Hi, guys. It's Robert with the Cole Shack's Loop Podcast. Bradley may have explained to you. I'm taking a little break so that I can work on a few things for this podcast that we're doing right now and for another one that we have. Of course, this one, I'm working on the Jeff Rice Memorial Scholarship. Um, we may be calling that the Jeff Rice Cole Shack's Loop Memorial Scholarship. But uh, I've actually got some uh, meetings planned that I'll be doing, talking to people about some foundation work. And also for the other podcast that we have, the Truth or Politics podcast, that we're looking at renaming, we are going to be doing a special on um, Native American history. And in this particular case, um, interviewing a uh, neurologist who has done a lot of research on Native American culture for the Lakota Sioux Indians and their uh, medicine practices and has done a lot of studying there and learned their language. And I'm going to be working with them too. On to this particular episode. Thank goodness. Finally, somebody who likes Stranger Things, aka Bradley, saw what I've been talking about all along dig dug baby dig dug machimoto oh i got goosebumps right now thinking about it i look forward to hearing what uh, bradley's going to talk about tonight i believe he's got a little guest host in there might actually be james rice from what i understand james welcome helping us one more time joining the podcast and i will take my comments off the air at this point because of course I'm walking my dog who's getting into trouble. Take care, guys, and always keep Robert in the loop. There we are, Robert in the loop. Yeah, so there is a huge Stranger Things. Uh, have you have you seen Stranger Things, James? Yes, I have watched Stranger Things on more than one occasion when I was supposed to be doing something else. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I love that series. Again, I grew up in the 80s, so it's all extremely nostalgic for me. The characters in that show would have been a couple years older than me, but not by that much. So yeah. the thought of showing up 
to school on Halloween with my three best friend, best friends wearing Ghostbusters outfits and then having absolutely nobody else be wearing their costumes to school. <laughs> hey, speaking of that, can, right there, can you see behind me? These are all, these are all the real Ghostbusters toys from the eighties. I've got two shelves here. I love that series. What else do I have? I've got uh, Castle Grayskull, Snake Mountain. I had that <laughs> castle as a kid. I don't know where it went, but I had that. I've got the 80s, it might have been 90s, WWF ring, and then I've got the sewer, Turtles sewer, and then there's the firehouse. You can see it a little bit. Oh, my goodness. You have done some work. Oh, man, it was a lot of work, yeah. But, no, so the Stranger Things tie-in, I was going to say here, the episode with... Uh, John Aston. Sean Aston, thank you. I'm so, going with you, Mr. Frodo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, uh, his, so his character, they come and, of course, he was in the Goonies. They say, oh, what's this you have here? A treasure map? And they're, so Will is being possessed by a nine-flyer. Nine He's scribbling. So they're taping and piecing it together throughout the house. And that's the exact thing that happens with these x rays. They're putting them together. Oh, yeah. And so they put yeah. them on, they're putting them on the floor to tape them together. Yes. And that's as soon as Robert said, there's a stranger things thing here. And you might, you probably pick up on it. And as soon as I saw them doing that, I was like, oh my gosh, which I, I watched on the NBC app. And did it show the picture of the, the full picture of him here? No, I think they cut to commercial at that. Point. They did. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I, I watched it on the DVD and I know that they, they, I mean, it's not an entire picture of the, the creature or whatever. It's, it's just like, a lot of swirly lines and stuff, but then there's that one eye that you can tell is an eye. Could you see it? Yeah, you can. They show it. They they show it. Uh, they I don't know if show they show that. it in that scene or if they showed it in a later scene. They show it in two scenes. They show it in that scene. Yeah, and that's when oh. when Carl says "Holy cow" or whatever, and he says that that so that's much in Minuto, and they show a picture of it later because it's it's one of the few pictures of Carl that actually turned out. They didn't. They didn't the show eye. it in the. I watched on the NBC app. They didn't show it. Same yeah, here. stuff gets cut in different places. I'm mad at I'm mad at crap. What? <laughs> well, cheated. I, I think they just honestly, I think they just have an algorithm that figures out where the scene breaks are yeah. and splice in modern commercials. Which yeah. I'm not going to lie, while I was watching that, seeing all of the you know 2021 commercials spliced in with yeah. 1974. Yeah, uh, it was it was that was a little bit of like historical whiplash right there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. no, I didn't see it there. So that, that makes me so mad that I missed the yeah. mm. dang NPC app. But when you get the blue, when you get the Blu-ray, I'm sure it'll be on there. Yeah. When we get the Blu-ray, we'll have to redo every dang episode we've done. Cause I've missed everything. Blu-ray edition of an audio podcast. Hey, we're going to redo every single podcast from every episode. Hey, you know, if we do enough of these, maybe they'll uh, they'll ask us to do the commentary on the uh, golden anniversary edition or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which, man, James, did they not contact you about any of the stuff? I hold the literary rights. You're no. Jam- you're you're James Rice, son of Jeff Rice, who created the <laughs> dang character. Jeff Rice, who all these folks very politely decided to ignore from 1975 onward. So surely these people understand now. These people, yeah. You want to talk about <laughs> going back to that theme of somebody getting brushed aside? <laughs> oh boy, it's a pretty yeah, example. I, I don't know. You figure they would at least have some uh, dignity there. Not, of course, <laughs> I'm saying maybe they didn't. I don't know. It's not exactly like I have an agent or anything. So, yeah. So we're, we're going to move on here to the, to the hospital basement, of course, as we're mentioning. 
And we, we see the ball begin to crack as the energy eater consumes the cobalt, that callback from earlier that we saw. And the hospital execs agree with Kolchak and agree to evacuate the hospital finally. But then they go behind Carl's back. And here's the thing, though. They go by, behind his back. They release a cover-up story. And they say, only send this to the big newspapers. Right. Mm. So INS. Not the little guy. Don't send it to the little guy. Send it to the, to the yeah. big newspapers. Of course, they do that purposely to cut out Kolchak, to cut out INS. Yeah. And so he goes to the medicine man to find, you know, this, the, his friend Elkhorn to go get help. And Elkhorn, you know, he's like, man, you know, th- there's nothing we can do. I'm done with this. And, and he washes his hands of it. So uh, like, like it always usually ends, Kolchak's by himself to take on the big bad here. So we're at INS and Tony confronts Carl about taking cameras. So Carl's getting these two cameras ready, the expensive cameras. <laughs> and he, and he said, you, you've already gone through two cameras and electric pencil sharpener. And he throws Miss Emily under the bus. I'll, that's Miss Emily with them ballpoint pen. She's been in there. <laughs> well, it might really have been her fault. I mean, maybe. And maybe, but then, but maybe not. <laughs> oh, but then Tony's even like, you know, what about that projector you took? You brought it back. You got guacamole in the gear. Yeah. I had to pay 20 bucks to get that thing cleaned. And uh, Carl's just laughing. He's laughing about yeah, it. Yeah, he's laughing about it. You know, Carl showing his we and we talked about this with Rich Adam and sort of we've mentioned this multiple times. He has that childlike the 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 things that you know kids do stuff like that all the time. They're they're gonna take your baseball cards and they're gonna get oil on them or something. I don't know how that happens, but kids do find out how to do stuff. And Carl's just sometimes he's the best detective in the world. He's the the Batman in detective comics, and sometimes he's uh your four-year-old uh left unattended who, who really knows here yeah anyway he does get the cameras he starts you know hey you know i'm going to find machi manito and then tony's like huh who's that oh he's a he's a uh, cuban boxer <laughs> so he's like oh okay and then ron asks about it and he's like oh he's a cuban you know uh boxer all this stuff and you know ron just like okay okay which we don't see a lot of ron in this episode uh, no he's like he's in that one scene where they're talking about the geriatric stuff with emily and he he's just in the background and he's just kind of looking on and when carl says he thinks the hospital is going to fall down you know he kind of looks up from back there but he doesn't say he doesn't even have any lines in that scene poor poor uh jack greenwich here yeah so he gets to the hospital he shows up in a hard hat so th- this is gonna be my this could be a, or this is gonna be in the call the calls play episode we do just Carl in a, in a yellow hard hat. That's, that's going to be my Halloween outfit this year. Valid choice, man. Yeah. I'm and he, sorry, did you say Cole Splay? Yeah. Cole yeah, Splay. yeah. That's something oh. I, I, that's what I call uh Cole Shack or Cole Shack cosplay is Cole Splay. Yeah. It's just a shorter way. It sort of sounds like Cole. I'm trying to get it going, man. It's just, you know, hashtag Cole Splay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except I'm really scared. If I do a hashtag, anything play, the other things are going to get in there. Oh yeah. 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 You're right. That's, that's probably prudent. <laughs> yeah. And, and what better, which I was, I was going to play Coldplay song, but uh, you know, uh, maybe that's overplayed here. If they copy that, surely they won't copyright strike us. I don't know. They'll copyright strike anybody, won't they? But so where were we at? Kolchak and his nice little hard hat. And we see them pumping the cold air, this uh, uh, liquid nitrogen into the, yeah. uh, into the vents. Carl sees the two people who put it, who put the press release in and an argument about staying down there. The two, the two execs, you know, Hey, you know, are you going to stay? I'm going to stay down here, oversee it. So they're getting a back and forth. So Carl sees a diversion again. And uh, everybody ends up getting evacuated. Carl goes up to the next floor and he is the left all alone. Apparently nobody, everybody, yeah, we swept all the floor. Nobody else is here. And uh, in one of the, the more stranger turns, this is an episode where 
Carl doesn't really do anything to to get the the win here or defeat the monster. We see the electricity begin to surge and you see it surging through the cracks. So Carl's taken, he gets the fire extinguisher and he's spraying it, trying to hold it back. And, and the, the smoke's rolling in around him, you know, all this stuff. And he, and it begins to swirl around the whole floor. And uh, so he runs away and he just collapses on the floor and then it cuts to commercial break. Was there something we missed there? He passed out from the liquid nitrogen. And James, you probably could offer a lot of uh, <laughs> comment about the fact that they're using liquid nitrogen to cool the thing. I mean, doesn't that make things like brittle, which is the last thing we need at this point <laughs> in this building? <laughs> My science spidey senses were going off all over the place on this yeah. episode. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched enough sci-fi over the years to just you know that that's a willing suspension of disbelief yeah you roll with that works there but no they were trying they were cooling it off because earlier in the episode they remembered that the lake had naturally the shore had moved inland yeah naturally over time and they had actually pumped pumped the lake water out and reclaimed shoreline to build that hospital which is what had warmed it up because it had been dormant all those years when the lake had covered Machu Minito's territory. Yeah. Although how a, a disembodied energy being is tied to a territory, who knows? But they, I know. But that was a much better but, explanation of what happened when they built that. So thank you. But then, but then they pulled the, but then they pumped the water out and it got warm. So they were trying to cool it back down again. So right. that's why they pulled all that liquid nitrogen in there. And I mean, you know, it's it, honestly what would have been simpler if you want to ask me. Yes. Just flood the place. They could have just flooded. I mean, if if a flooded lake front was what cooled it off in the first place, they could have just engineered some way to just used water. You mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. As my as I was teaching my students earlier today, water has a really high specific heat capacity. It takes a whole yeah. lot of energy to warm it up. Yeah. Um. So cold water. I mean, there's a reason that you know yeah, there's even cars that have water cooled engines. That's a that's a thing. Yeah. You know? but, but liquid nitrogen, am I right? Am I remembering correctly here that that's the one where <laughs> I'm so stupid asking this, you know, because this is one of those like circus tricks they do in chemistry classes or whatever, where they take the vat of liquid nitrogen and then they drop the, like the tennis ball in it and then they throw it against the wall and it shatters. Or is that liquid oh, no, nitrogen? That's, real. That's, that, very that's, real. that's liquid nitrogen, right? Yeah. So that's uh, what kind of befuddled me about the idea of pumping that into, you know, well, I think it's already it, brittle. You know, gave a really good excuse for Kolchak to right pass out in the basement right. and then wake Plus up. The mysterious. fog looks cool, you know. Oh, always. Yeah, um, yeah. He was like a rock singer there, you know, <laughs> dry ice going. We just needed the, the the lights and the wig. Oh yeah, yeah. Orange gel, you know, orange gel light <laughs> spotlight. So with with liquid nitrogen and stuff, what are the side effects? I guess of inhaling too much liquid nitrogen. Do you know there, James? Well, 80% of the air around you is just nitrogen. Yeah. Yeah. Oxygen is slightly more dense. Now I'm a nerd. So nitrogen, nitrogen atoms have, a, have an atomic mass of 14, but oxygen atoms have an atomic mass of 16. So oxygen yeah. molecules are actually slightly heavier than nitrogen molecules. Not enough so that they separate into different layers under normal atmospheric pressure. But if you had a flood of nitrogen gas and there was any like separation, the nitrogen would conceivably float above the oxygen and you'd still have oxygen there. So that's probably why he didn't suffocate. There are actual gases that are extremely dense and will suffocate you if you fill a room with it. Notably, carbon dioxide. Oh yeah. 
if you've ever, you, you want to Google something here, hey folks, Google uh, Lake Neos, N-Y-O-S. believe it was in Nigeria. There was a hydrothermal vent beneath a lake about 20 something years ago. It vented a whole bunch of carbon dioxide from the bottom of a lake. The, and, and it was basically the bottom of a volcanic crater. This village by the edge of the lake, the entire valley floor filled with carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide actually is denser than atmospheric air when you have a lot of it suffocated the entire village in the middle of the night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Apparently it did it with all livestock as well within 16 miles of the lake. Yeah. It was a, it was a horrible natural disaster. So that Um, happened in 1980. Fortunately for Carl, it was nitrogen, not carbon dioxide. Yeah. Wow. And on set, they might've actually been using dry ice and that might've actually been more dangerous. I, I bet they were. I mean, I would think, you know. Yeah. Um, man, he, does, he does get frostbite from it. Yeah, it? yeah, definitely. He has like the red patch on his face, and he says something about waking up with frostbite. We are actually almost on the – we just missed the 35th anniversary of that. It happened August 21st, 1986, so we're like six days past that. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah, and some other things. Uh, I looked up liquid nitrogen. It said that he had got frostbite, but it said that rapidly, it rapidly, of course, freezes skin tissue and eye fluid. I didn't think about eye fluid. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) So it could result in permanent eye damage, frostbite, and cold burns. Yeah, you don't want to be immersed in liquid nitrogen. Yeah. No. But so Kolchak, really, he doesn't beat the monster here. The monster is just sort of beaten by the people, you know, the the, the guys who... He he kind of fends it off with a fire extinguisher a little bit, but you're right. He doesn't, he doesn't like slay the dragon <laughs> no and i'll talk about that in my in my episode writing later but tell, we get to the hospital room where he is and carl's sort of bleary-eyed and he sees he said like, oh no don't, yeah. and he realizes it's tony of course and tony is there with carl as he comes and uh, carl is recovering from frostbite but it wasn't bad enough to amputate his hands or feet so you know that's a that's a good sign <laughs> yeah so Tony says that the film was ruined that he did in the uh, expensive cameras, that $40 film that, that Tony saw the receipt for and, and tried to chase Carl down for, but the pictures turned out and he don't know, he don't know what it's supposed to be. So we, we see, uh, we see Carl sort of look at it and we see the Macho Manito on film, which for the first time for me, but apparently if you watch the DVDs, you see it, at, this is a second time. Yeah. And the irony is that that was one of the cam- the pictures he took with his, with his, you know, Rolly 16, his usual, his little 16 millimeter camera, not even the fancy $40, ooh, you know, for the inner the UV and the infrared film. Yeah. So I mean, an, an interesting ending there and he gets his whole wrap up. The hospital is going to be, the hospital director is leaving to practice medicine mm. in his own house, which I kind of think that the idea there was that he was done with big hospital buildings. He was going to get away from a big hospital building. And then the hospital is going to be torn down and replaced by a marina with uh, with deep channels of icy cold or lake icy lake water. And so the, the 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 weird thing is that the contractor who built the hospital will be building the new marina. So it's this idea. He Carl even says some people can make a profit on anything, namely the big guys, you know, of industry. You know, and it's some these they're going to land on their feet. They're going to you know make come out ahead on this somehow yeah the neat thing about the 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 radiation thing though i mean i know it's just cobalt for x-rays but it's kind of interesting to me that the radiation is carl notices that the, the that machi Menudo is feeding on the radiation and 
which is basically like nuclear energy and and the that's what's making Machu Menudo an even bigger threat. And I think that I wonder I almost wonder if that was kind of striking a chord with the viewers too because we always think of a lot of us well if you're of a certain age you think of 3 Mile Island but that was 5 years later you know 1979. But if you guys had to guess, which I'm going to ask you to guess, how many nuclear reactors do you think we had up and running in America at on on this on the date this show premiered? Three. Um, hmm. Not too many more than that, I would guess. I think it was Three Mile Island. I don't think that one had gone up yet. Fifty-two. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I was my mind was boggled by that. And then eight of them had opened that year in 74. And there were two scheduled, at least two scheduled to open later in December. So by the end of that year, shortly after this episode, you have 54 and 10 of them having been opened that year. So it was, I mean, obviously it was already kind of on people's minds, you know. So I, I again it's not a major thing, but you know, anytime they can get a social issue like that, you know, something that people have been reading about in the papers or watching on the news about, you know, and it kind of, you know, what's the phrase they use torn from the day's headlines or, you yeah. know, whatever it, it, it's, it's effective TV programming. So, yeah. And cobalt actually is used as, uh, they use it as, as, as an implant for radiation therapy. Lakefront Hospital won't be up much longer. It's coming down to make room for a new marina, one with deep channels of icy lake water. Dr. Ralph Carey has gone back to private practice from the safety and comfort of an office in his own home, I hear. Walter Green, construction Wunderkind, has another project going for him. His company is building the new Lakefront Marina. Some people can make a profit on anything. Well, well, you guys, uh, so that's the interesting part. We have a science and, and history and stuff like that segment. And we've pretty much had that this whole episode. Thanks to James Rice over there and a little yeah. bit of contribution from Jeff too. Thank you for that. So let's get on to the episode ratings. Um, Jeff, you go first. What is the, your episode rating for this one? I'm going to give it 7.5 toasters. I know that IMBD, I think is it gives it around 77.5. I guess what you, you're citing there, but I know that people, a lot of people beat up on this. Uh, episode and say it's one of the worst ones, but I know it has flaws and everything, but the, just the class structure thing in there that keeps, you know, coming up again, I think it's kind of neat. And, and also I think it wins points with me because the fact, again, that they took a native American character and a native American legend or mythology or, or however you want to phrase that. And, and I think for the time treated it pretty respectfully you know, they didn't make it a caricature like they could have. Obviously, I don't come from that same theology, if you want to say, but but I, I certainly, you don't beat up on people and you want to be, you don't want to misrepresent people poorly or make them into, you know, you know what I mean? Make demeaning images of them. And I don't think they did here. And it was kind of like what you said, James, at first you were kind of worried when the two Native Americans fell off the building, but then you saw they kind of they were going somewhere with it. And I thought it went somewhere pretty good with it. So I'll, I'll do 7.5 toasters. Yeah, Jeff, I think I would agree. Working, working toasters, by the way. Working toasters. I, I would say that uh, I would give this a, uh, I thought it, I thought it was actually a pretty solid episode. I loved William Smith's epi- the William Smith's character in it who played Elkhorn. And I think there were some good scenes. The one-liners were prevalent and I always, I, you can't have enough one-liners and stuff. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to skew that even a little bit higher. 
Didn't like that Carl didn't beat the monster though. The the, yeah. the the ending sort of fizzled out and and it wasn't as impactful. I would give it eight actresses uh, trying to get exposed <laughs> out of ten, trying to get exposed to get in the business. You know the no. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Let's not right. Yeah, what about you, James? What do you give this episode? This is a it's a little tough because <sighs> I mean I, I I only watched it one time through, and I I didn't quite pick up on the theme that you were you were talking about jeff not initially after you said it, i realized looking back at it it was there the thread went all the way through mm-hmm. so i do appreciate that but aside from you know not beating the monster and maybe you know it was because there was no time for any speculation but like what is this thing yeah is it an alien yeah. are we actually talking about deities are we talking about some force of nature is it a is it a creature with an intellect? Like it was vague. Those, those are the kind of questions that I would be thinking of besides, you know, save the hospital. What is this thing? So that, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, what, yeah. you know, why is it stuck here? You know, nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. So, eh, you know, that, that was a little, that was a little murky and I know they had a TV budget, but you could see the TV budget. I mean, <laughs> 14 minutes in, there was a boom in the shot. There was, oh, wow. Boom in the shot. Oh, man. And and I just, like, you got that once through. Oh, bravo. I saw that on the bravo, like, man. I saw that. I was like, wait. <laughs> Scrolled it back. I'm like, oh, I'm, come on. I'm totally guys. going back to see that. <laughs> I think it was almost exactly on 14. I, I watched it on the NBC apps. So you might have to. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. You know, they're they're walking around in that base <coughs> hallway, and I could see there was the, the camera was pointed at an angle at one point where I could see a corner where two walls came together, and there was no ceiling. Like I know it's a sound stage, so you don't put a ceiling in, but you guys don't aim the camera at <laughs> like if there's no ceiling. So just the production value that kind of lost some points for me. Like wow, we, we know they cut corners on the building here, but <laughs> exactly, you know. So so I, I I was a little miffed at some of it. The fog, you, you you go down to Smart and Final, you pick up a few pounds of dry ice and you put a few squibs in a piece of cracked concrete and you got the monster of the week. And I was like, oh man, a $50 monster of the week. Yeah. That almost, that costs less than the cameras that Carl ruined. <laughs> so we well, so, just ruined the film. We don't know that he ruined the camera. But, but, but beyond all yeah. of that, yeah, I was never under, in any like terror of the monster. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing that for me that kind of brought it down. Like when when Carl's hiding in the closet and the ripper's like reaching his hand in. Yes. Yeah. You've seen him do terrible things. You've seen him rip people apart and you know right. that Carl is in mortal danger. Mm-hmm. But every time he goes down there, there's a horrible earthquake. I'm from California. I think about being in the basement of a high rise in an earthquake. Oh, yeah. And I'm that's the scariest part of the episode for me. And then cut to commercial and afterwards, nothing. He's fine. I'm like what? Yeah. Okay. So, and it happened more than once. So the shaky yeah. stopped being scary. So I, that, that to me said this, this earned six and a half feet of Lake Michigan water. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good one. The good one. Yeah. So moving on from that, we will, before we get to my movie picks, I, um, we said we were going to talk a little star Wars. So we are going to talk a little star Wars. This comes from actually me TV did an article 
uh, the headline, this Cole Shack guest star was the astrologer for both Star Wars and for Ronald Reagan. Yep. I'm going to read a little bit of this here. Joyce Gilson is probably best known for a small reoccurring role in Peyton Place. You know, she even was in Columbo. And you, of course, talked about her escapades in uh, Super Chick, yeah. where she played the uh, Super Chick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's all you got to say, man. <laughs> but Gilson also practiced astrology. She became the official studio astrologer for 20th Century Fox. Yes, Hollywood Studios employed astrologers. Gilson studied the constellations and planets to determine the best release dates for films. It was her idea to release Star Wars on May 25th, 1977. And that seemed to work out pretty well. I did all right with it. Uh, yeah. That little little upstart named Star Wars ended up being something. Yeah. yeah. Before you laugh, laugh this off, this is the article. Know that Gilson also advised Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan. According to her obituary in the New York Times, Gilson advised Reagan to pick George H.W. Bush's vice president. Yeah. As a writer and seer, Gilson saw her astrology column published in hundreds of newspapers around the country, including the Los Angeles Times. Goes to show it pays to pay attention to the sporting cast and uh, maybe Venus and Mars, too. So, yeah. yeah, she picked the date for Star Wars. I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. You know, the Reagan administration, I think, always denied that formally, but everybody else sort of seemed to murmur a lot about it that yeah. she was like their official, unofficial, official, you know, psychic advisor or whatever. Yeah. And if you if you remember anything about the politics of the day, President Reagan ran, I think he was the first president who really ran on the evangelical conservative agenda, mm-hmm. uh, like o- overtly. Mm-hmm. So that would not, they, they would have denied that because that would have not looked good to their supporters. Yeah. Especially in the mid 80s, satanic panic era. Yeah. I just thought that was real cool. I don't remember why, I found that article somewhere looking up something about the energy eater. And I actually forgot I had even put it in my notes. That's a cool thing about Google Notes or like my notes on my iPhone is I had them in my notes. And today I was looking up Energy Eater in my notes to see what I'd put. And apparently months ago, before we started even recording these episodes, I'd put this in there. Yeah. (laughs) What? I was like, what is this article that I put in here? And then I read it and I thought, oh, I forgot I put this in here. So, yeah. But, you know, if you if you told me I'm going to tell you the ways that 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 movie studio executives decide when they're going to premiere a movie. If you gave me that list and psychic advisor <laughs> showed up on that list, I would really would think you were joking. I mean, I guess at this point, nothing should surprise me, but I would never believe that. <laughs> well, and I guess we can end this conversation. I'm going to play a little bit of audio here for you. Have you ever heard of a group called the doors? Yes. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. You're in LA, man. I'm sure you drive by like, uh, you probably drove by all the places too. LA woman. LA woman. Yeah. yeah. So there was a concert in the seventies and they also mentioned, you know, in this episode, they talk about shamans and stuff. Of course, Jim Morrison always called himself the shaman and Stefan believed he was like his own medicine man of the, of the band. But he, in a concert in Boston, in the seventies, he actually had a little bit about astrology and the funny thing is you'll see that you'll hear this woman yelling in the background and I'm just going to play. I'll just play it for you and let you hear it. Hey, 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 listen, 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 man. Listen, man. Hey, listen now. I don't know how many of you people believe in astrology. Yeah, that's right. That's right, baby. I, I am a Sagittarius. The most philosophical of all the signs. But anyway, I don't believe in it. I think it's a bunch of bullshit myself. But I'll tell you this, man. I'll tell you this. 
I don't know what's gonna happen, man, but I wanna have my kicks before the whole shit house goes up in flames. All right, all right. And that that was Jim Morrison's take on it. I, I'll answer that definitely, but I don't know why. I just that one woman, I've never got over that. Like she's yelling, You're a Sagittarius, I've read up on you. I read your signs. And he's like, Well, you know, this is what I think. I don't believe in it. And she's like, Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is my my uh my thoughts on that. And, but before we wrap up here, we can we can't go anywhere before we, we talk about our best segment, the movie picks of the week. And this, of course, is where I pick my movie picks of the week. And usually I tie it to whatever monster or big bad we have here. So what do you do with the Native American creature? Well, you go for the lowest common denominator. So I just pick movies that had invisible creatures in it. So a little bit of a cop out here. And I didn't find too many. I'm sure there's movies I missed here. But I ended up putting a little few shows in there. The, the number five movie on my list. And if y'all know any that I don't have mentioned here, Feel free to chime in. We'll put those in honorable mentions. But uh, this is the ones that I came up with. Orloff Against the Invisible Man from 1970. It, it sort of gets mixed reviews, but I mean, it's a decent film. You know, go watch it. You know, something I should have put on here, which I didn't think of, was The Invisible Man, which that's that should be right off the top. But he wasn't really a bad guy, per se. Well, he kind of was toward the end. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, he kind of so, lost it. But but also the Invisible Man. So I'll probably put the I'll put the Invisible Man up there. I'll have to. I'll kick off. Do I kick off Star Trek or Lost in Space? We'll kick off Lost in Space. So Lost in Space will be my honorable mention here. Lost in Space, Ghost in Space from 1966, an honorable mention number, which I thought was really good. You know, Star Trek's the the original Star Trek series always was pretty fun to watch. I, I mean, the low budget, but it it was fun to watch and to see the way that they tackled the Invisible Monster <laughs> today. You know, it was pretty cool. Number three, I'll put I'll we'll put the Invisible Man because I thought it was really cool. There's a lot of cool rotoscoping too. If you look when he unravels his bandages, uh, you get that nice back shot, and you see yeah. if you look, uh, the bandages are actually sort of transparent because of the way they had to roto. So, and that's the thing, the cool thing about how they did this is they had to take a a fresh plate and they had to take and they had to cut around him, and and in order to make some of it transparent, they had, yeah, it's crazy to look at and meticulous. Uh, meticulous is right something you can do yeah. in like after effects like in two two seconds or probably yeah. not seconds but you know yeah. what i mean just just a lot of hard work number two of course predator arnold schwarzenegger who else was in that movie jesse ventura just james mm-hmm. Chopper. yeah <laughs> probably the most famous line from that one so james what do you think about predator you a big predator guy I haven't come back around to a lot of the films that i watched as a kid because it was an era where we had a vcr and not Everyone did quite yet, but mm, my dad let me watch films that I was probably way too young for. Oh, yeah. Predator, Pred- I, I saw. I didn't see Predator in the theaters, but I saw it maybe a year later and a little scarred. A little scarred. <laughs> Seeing bodies flayed open, just like, yeah. ah. And then it set it up the whole, you know, Predator versus Alien thing for the next 15 years, too. But yeah, Predator was amazing because just that whole idea of, what is this thing? And it's just blowing people apart and eviscerating them. It was great. And, yeah. you know, and Arnold. Oh, yeah. Arnold. Anything Arnold's in, you know, go ahead. We'll watch it. Jeff, what about you? You, you a Predator guy? 
I I enjoyed it. I, I'm trying to remember when I first saw that. I, it was probably you know a few years after it came out. One of my friends had you know cable, some Showtime or something, and saw it. Is that the one where the guy's like shooting and his arm gets torn off while he's shooting the gun, and like the arm is still holding the gun when it hits the ground? Does that happen in that movie, or is that another? I I, I want to say it was a one of those Arnold movies, but uh, that probably happens in every Arnold movie. <laughs> it's it's on the checklist yeah but that was a you know the i do remember that one part where he had the mud rubbed on him and the thing was like right in his face just right up in his grill and and you just knew he was gonna he was gonna sense him and that's kind of scary that's kind of like i guess james the opposite of what you were observing in tonight's episode because it sounds like he the the machi minuto was just a little too disembodied you know it, it to, to to really do it for you and that that's the opposite when something's like right up on you like that and you're just sure it's going to see you or know you're there at any moment like the episode you mentioned before the ripper where he's he's in that closet and the ripper's reaching into the closet and he just and he he actually i I guess at some point decides that he's going to get found out he just kind of freaks out you know so that was the thing that i remember the most about the predator and my number one film, I wanted to put this in the alien episode, the actual invisible aliens episode, the uh, UFO episode, whatever. But then I was like, you know, maybe I need to put this in the invisible category and not the alien category, even though they are invisible aliens. So that'd be perfect for the upper, other episode. But the invisible invaders, which is a 1959 low budget movie here. I'll, I'll play it's a part of the trailer for y'all. And this is going to be I don't, I'm not screen sharing. This is going to be trash, probably. So. <laughs> We didn't do this. Within three days, the dead will destroy all the living. I am from another planet outside your galaxy. I'm sorry. I just don't understand. Unless Earth surrenders in 24 hours, we will begin a mass invasion. We are invisible. We are invisible, Adam Penner. You cannot see us. From outer space, come the invisible invaders living dead men threatening to destroy all life on earth so yeah that was uh invisible invaders pretty intense man yeah you can see super low budget but like you see them sinking down in the seats and you see stuff floating i don't know I'm but when was it made? I mean, 1959. Well, there you go. I mean, same year as a uh, plan nine from outer space. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Oh, Ed Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Ed Wood. hundred percent. But no, it's, I, I'm a sucker for just terrible movies like that. Or, and it's not even a bad, bad movie, but those movies, like you have to tell everything in the plot. We're invisible people. We're going to come you know, take you over and you can't see us. We're invisible. And then like, you have to explain the plot very straightforward. So, I mean, yeah, you don't have to have Carl. Yeah. You don't have to have Carl figure it out at some point. No, just, no. just tell it. <laughs> We're just going to have one guy come tell everybody, but it's fun. It, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can find the whole thing on YouTube. If you want to look for yeah. it, if you would want to look for it, who knows? I'm just, as far as movies with invisible characters, I believe there was a 90s version of Invisible Man with Chevy Chase. I think you're right. I think, yeah, there, I think, I think there that was. was my introduction to the Invisible Man. And he, he figures I'm so out sorry. the day that he's sitting in front of a mirror, or when he's sitting in front of a mirror and eats something and sees it going through his digestive tract and it 
I just remember this to this day, it causes such a visceral reaction for him that you watch all the food that goes in come right back out. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a scene right that's, there. That's rough for the people who got popcorn for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Bad call. There's my pick. <laughs> so, Jeff, do you have any invisible person movies that you'd like to throw in the mix here? I- I can't. I can't think of anything right now. I, I you did. You did mention Star Trek, and there was one episode of Star Trek that, that like this this episode did involve specifically a god, or uh, what was interpreted as a god. I think it was called "Who Mourns for Adonis," but it's the one with. I may be wrong about the title, but it's the one with Apollo. They get on the mm-hmm. planet. They find that the Greek god Apollo is there, and he he can he can grow really huge, and he can just like throw a thunderbolt at him or whatever. And so it's, it's, I, I just kind of reminded me as you were talking about Star Trek. So well, I'm, I'm mostly, I'm mostly a Trekkie. I'll say, mm. a Trekkie. but you know, my kids like Star Wars and it's one of those, I mean, there's room for both. Mm-hmm. Well, not on this podcast. We only talk about Star Wars. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, James, before we get out of here, I like yeah. to talk and talk with our guests. Have you seen anything recently that you've, that you've really enjoyed or what, what, what do you do in your free time or watch or read or anything? In my free time? I don't have tons of free time. Uh, <laughs> I got two young kids and a time, full time and a half kind of job, but I, I have spent a lot of time starting a little bit before the pandemic, first watching on YouTube. And then later when I found out that they had a podcast, just watching critical role dungeons and dragons yeah campaigns i I think i mentioned it before but yeah Yeah. i i'm i'm a little more i'm maybe two-thirds of the way through campaign two now Mm -hmm. i didn't know that i I didn't realize until a couple weeks ago that they had just ended the the second campaign i thought i was going to catch up to them live one day but (laughs) you know when each episode is three to four hours a pop you oh my god yeah yeah, and, and I used to, man, in my old job, I, I could actually listen to stuff. And in the twelve-hour days, you know, I could knock out three episodes of the show sometimes, three, four. But now it's like, I, I where did I get to? I, I they met the mind flare, and then they defeated it, and they had a who was the I forget which I, I forget where I was, and they ended up going into the which the, I'm still like maybe sixty episodes yeah, in. That's roughly near the the beginning of uh, the first campaign. Which I'm 60 episodes in, but it's still like, yeah, it's they 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 did a lot, they yeah. did a lot, yeah. but it's it's amazing. No, and and I sort of dropped. I ended up having to prioritize podcasts and what I listen to, yeah, and and not, but from any sake, but it's sort of hard. It's sort of not as uh, easy listening, I guess, when you're doing a job to listen to try to focus on because it's like an audio book sort of to focus uh-huh. on critical role, like as they're doing it, you know. So I've sort of got more easy listening stuff to listen to when I can listen to stuff. So critical role is something I'm, I just have to stay up a few hours at night. I'm going to have to go through and do it. Jeff, well, tell me what you've been watching. Well, we've been watching a, a whole bunch of stuff. You know, we, we go back and we discover stuff that everybody else has already watched a long time ago. Like we've been, we started watching a broad church, which is not really a, uh, not really, I guess, a horror specifically, but there's a lot of suspense and a lot of drama in there, and and some pretty scary stuff, you know. And uh, as you get into it, mostly the whole distrust of you know your neighbors kind of element. So we've been watching that, and uh, we just, I mean, we watch a lot of stuff like that. I don't usually watch a lot of gory stuff for the most part, but I like the suspense. That's kind of the, the, the most exciting part for me, you know. That was kind of one of the things about 
about Carl, you know, the, the werewolf mask might not be very convincing, but it's that time between when he hears it and when we see it, that's the meat for me. You know, that's the waiting, that, that suspense part. And I thought they did that well. So but that's the kind of stuff that we, we go back and watch now. Yeah. Let's see. What have I watched? So, and this is not a plug at all. Like I literally have, uh, I've legitimately been watching DC's Titans that Rich Haddam writes. If we've had on, I love like superhero stuff, love DC superhero stuff like my jam. I used to watch American Horror Story a lot, which it's sort of like, there's a lot of schmuck involved with it. And and I watched the American Horror Stories and it was all pretty bland stories and they were okay. Some of it was just sort of, yeah, leave, give or take it. But I watched that just to watch it. Let's see. I've been watching, I watched a, uh, so we did a, a sort of Kolshak ass thing last night was talk about 70s horror cinema on Fireside. We, and it's an app where you pretty much like live radio and you can get people. Oh, yeah. Talk. Yeah. So we talked about 70s uh, cinema. So some stuff I watched to prepare for that and stuff that I'd rewatched was Vincent Price movies, Theater of Blood, I saw, which was a good Vincent Price movie. And I watched, and that movie is like Halloween that we talked about. Like Halloween's one of my favorite of all time. So I know Halloween looks back of my hand. Uh, but do, you, do, you, do you ever see Vincent Price in the abominable Dr. Fibes? No, but that's on the list for our next, uh, our next session, our part two of our seventies discussion. Yeah, that me that and uh, weird. That's just weird. Well, we're going to, we're going to watch it. I'm going to watch it, but we talked about, I've seen black Christmas again, of course, alien, but I, it was called Madhouse, And so he plays like a guy who used to be an actor, played this character known, known as Dr. Death. And he wears this awesome makeup. That's really sort of, this is Vincent Price. Oh, wow. Oh my. But that was like his character in the TV show. And then the actual Dr. Death starts coming and killing people. Peter Cushing's in it. He's in it. And there's a good twist at the end that I really thought, Oh, that's really unique. Cause you don't know if he's going mad in his head or if it's, you know, actually another person. And so it's really fun. Watch. I, I really, I watched it and enjoyed it, but that's really all I've been watching. Do you like when they do that in general, Bradley, do you like, I think they call that an unreliable narrator. And James, what, what do you think? I mean, when, when you have a narrator and you're not really sure, is this, is this person kind of a bit daft or is this person losing it? Or, you know, can um, I take, can I take this at face value? Well, it's a fun twist. Yeah. Um, I haven't read a ton of literature that does that, but I know I remember, oh gosh, 15 years ago, maybe a little more reading uh, a novel by Dave Edgars called You Shall Know Our Velocity. I think it was the name of it. I couldn't get all the way through it because yeah. it went from one unreliable narrator to the next. Oh, and yeah. By, that's... by about the third, I was just like, I do not understand this yeah. Yeah. plot structure to this book. I already graduated from college. I don't need another literature class. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure it, it's, it was just a little bit too far beyond my speed, but it, it can be fun when I, it, that reminds me of uh, memento, you know, when you're, you realize that the guy somewhere in the, the twist near the end where he, he realizes, wait a second, all this time, my memories of the event have been wrong. And, you know, not just, I mean, it's what, 20 years in. So I guess I'm not spoiling it for anybody, but you know, he realizes that, you know, his wife wasn't murdered. He accidentally gave her an overdose of insulin. Okay. Yeah. And he, and he just kind of, and he's chose to a, believe that subconsciously. He chose to believe that this other guy mm-hmm. did it this whole time. Externalized it. Yeah. Using him and his lack of memory from one twenty four hour segment to the next to basically turn him into his enforcer. 
Yeah. Is his, his killer for hire. And he doesn't even know he is until he just, and then he just loses it, which wow. it's a great twist. It's a, yeah. it's a huge twist. And, and to this day, still remember it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Three, three movies I can think of offhand that I remember with like unreliable narrators. The most recent, the Joker. Have y'all seen the uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie? I, I have not. I haven't seen I have it. wanted to, but I have not gotten it. It was really good. The ending is very, uh, I mean, it really makes you like think like, wow, what? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 I'm, I'm not, I'm not spoiling anything. He just sort of, it makes you think I'll say that. Um, okay. Yeah. And that's then, vague enough. That's vague enough. Fight Club, of course, is a good uh, oh, unreliable narrator. Yes. Oh, yeah. Great example. Oh, yeah. And then one in between those two was uh, American Psycho with Christian Bale, mm-hmm. which I love, which that was. Have y'all seen American Psycho? I haven't. I've heard amazing things about it, but uh, yeah, I missed that one. Man, it's one of those where you think he's telling the truth the whole like. Even if you watch the movie, you'll never know what really happened. You'll be like, you know, did it really happen? Did it really not? So, those are so you think he's telling the truth, and and he thinks he's telling the truth too, right? Or, or does he? Oh, you don't have to tell me. I don't want to give it away for anybody. So basically, he uh, he thinks that uh, he's basically living a double life. He's killing people at night, and he's or you or he thinks he's killing people at night. But then it's sort of along the way. It's like you don't know. Like he just is okay. getting away with murders, and you're like, gotcha. Oh, kind of like Carl does occasionally. <laughs> so it's like is he getting away with murders or is he not and then there's like a scene where the cops are chasing him and and it's like there's like huge explosions you're like this is very weird and he even sort of has a moment of realization like that wouldn't happen in real life and then wow but but the whole the whole twist of it is and this is not really a i mean it's sort of a spoiler i mean but the whole twist the whole idea of it is this is like the reagan era of like the the big you know hey people just want to make a buck and like he kills all these people and they they end up putting them in this hotel room well the the guy who owns the or not hotel room but this condo area that's for rich people they sort of just clean it up and clean all the dead bodies out of the closet and they remodel it so the thought is these people are just wanting to make money. And he's like, if people know that people died here, they're not going to. So instead of calling the cops and getting them involved, we just dispose the bodies or did it really happen? Or, you know, is this in okay. his head? So it's sort of like, it's sort of like these people just who just want to make money, you know, in this era. Yeah. Are they just doing all yeah. this just to save face or are they doing this? Cause it's in his head, you know, you really don't know. Well, that would be around the same time of poltergeist too, right? Where they kind of had a similar deal where they just, it was too, it was too cost too much to move the graves. So they just moved yeah. the headstones. Which Poltergeist <laughs> was in 82 and this, I think uh, American Psycho's in 99, maybe. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about one. Oh, you were, but it happened. Okay, I got you. I got you. 2000 was one. I'm with you now. Yeah, but it does take place in the 80s, which Poltergeist was one. Uh, we talked about that last night. It was uh, a yeah. little bit. Just mentioned it. Talked about Toby Hooper, who did uh, Texas Chainsaw Master. Yeah. But yeah, that was a good little discussion there at the end. But yeah. uh you know, thanks both of you guys for joining us, James, Jeff. We'll both we need to have you both back on uh, to do other things down the future. Of course, I know with James, we still want to talk about uh, your dad's book. Go through that if you if you have time down the road. Uh, we'll have to work that out with you. Absolutely, because I would love to just go chapter by chapter. You know, maybe do three chapters an episode, just sort of talk about it, talk about some of the uh, the writing there, because I think that'd be super fun and to get your insight with, especially uh, just uh, to talk about because. The novels, without the novels, none of this exists. You know, we're not, we, this podcast don't exist because it's all the brainchild of your dad. And so uh, we owe 
a de- great debt of gratitude to him for everything. Uh, you know, me, Mark, uh, even, you know, the cool thing now is like even seeing Richard Haddam writing in DC's Titans. He's incorporated some things from Kolshak into his writing of the episodes he's done. So all that even ties back to your dad. Like your dad is still influencing, you know, modern day TV shows like DC's Titans. And, and it's something that you don't think about, man. Like I, I don't think like when I talk to Rich about it, it's like it's like the, the butterfly effect or whatever. <laughs> Mentioning another movie, you know, without your dad, like all this literature and stuff. And who knows where we'd have been, especially like Kolshak. That's one thing we talked about last night. Kolshak inspired some of these movies like, uh, you know, black it inspired stuff like these Black Christmas and all these other movies that came out after it sort of inspired it to sort of be like, even in an indirect way, some of the vampire stuff and the, the modern day sort of vampire retelling sort of influences Blade and stuff in a way. So it's sort of like uh, just this ripple effect. Like, who knows how much Kolchak has really influenced what we know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's all thanks to your dad, man. Great debt of gratitude to him and all that. And that's one thing we wanted to work with, with the uh, Jeff Rice Memorial Scholarship that we're going to working on. We got, uh, we got, that's why, of course, Robert's not here. He's hard at work working on that. I am looking forward to at some point doing a, uh, maybe an installment with you on the, uh, on the Coles play, as I call it. <laughs> yeah. And we, so here's my thought kind of going down the list. Yeah. Jeff, and I apologize. I've been very bad about getting back to you. Of course, I've been trying to edit episodes and everything, so I haven't got back to you. But we really... And you've got a lot going on. Yeah, I've got a baby coming up in the next few weeks. So uh, hopefully hopefully she's not in labor right now. Uh, I told her to knock on the... I said, knock on the door if you're in labor, if you need to. <laughs> uh, no. But uh, so she's due September 10th. So, But she's been having, she's been having contractions and stuff, but not any, uh, let's go to the hospital contractions, more of a, you know... I yeah. I'm having some Braxton Hicks, so it's you know, Bradley. If if the baby comes two days early, it'll be on Star Trek Day. Just saying. <laughs> what what day is, is September eighth? Yeah, that's the day that Star Trek premiered on on NBC in sixty six. Oh, and that'll be an anniversary sixty six seventy six eighty six ninety six two thousand six two thousand sixteen. So it'll be fifty five years. Is that right? I guess so. Yeah, it'll be fifty fifth yeah. anniversary. Yeah. Well, we'll get her induced that day. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Just for Star Trek Day. <laughs> well, folks, I don't know what better way to end that. If you want to get in touch with Colchak Sleep, you can find us uh, anywhere you find podcasts. And, of course, if you're listening to this, I imagine you've already found us. But if you want to find our socials, uh, Facebook, look at Colchak Sleep. We're on Twitter, not very active, at Colchak Sleep. But we'll, we'll tweet back at you. You can email us, colchaksleep at gmail.com. But for all things Colchak, you can find us right here inside the loop. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question, and I'm, I'm probably cut this out of the episode. People are really going to wonder. <laughs> um, Expletive deleted.